one can actually respond in such a way that those around would say, wow, what a demonstration of new life. And yet, as quickly as they respond with joy, Jesus says, just that quickly, they can fall away. We're all together here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Let's just set the stage in our minds just a little bit. So just imagine with me that you are one of these that are sitting on this ground, this soil on the side of the Sea of Galilee. And so last week we made note of the fact that that Jesus, we're told that he is off in this boat, sitting in the boat, but the people are sitting on the land. And the word used there for the land is the same word that's used for the soil. So the people are sitting on the soil. And while they're sitting on the soil, they're hearing a parable about the soils of their heart. They're sitting on the soil, listening to a parable of the soil of their own heart. And as they're listening to this parable, you can just imagine yourself sitting on this bank on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and the sun is bright overhead, and you're looking out at this little boat and this little cove. And on this boat, you can barely see there's Jesus sitting And as he's sitting on this boat, he's teaching with authority. But as he's sitting here teaching, the sun is high overhead. Perhaps it's it's being reflected off the water of the Sea of Galilee there. And you're having to squint as you are trying to see him. You can hear him just fine, but you're having to squint to see him. And as you're having to do this, he's also telling a section of the parable that has to do with the sun and the withering, blistering, scorching aspects of the sun. So all of that is playing upon your mind as you're listening to these words from Jesus. These are the most powerful words you've ever heard. He's teaching you. You are are a person of an Eastern culture, and so you are accustomed to being taught and to learning by means of stories. And so he's teaching you in the way that you understand best, which is by stories. And by these stories, he's teaching you of these earthly realities that parallel a spiritual reality. You can see the earthly realities, but you can't see the spiritual reality. And so Jesus is laying alongside this spiritual reality, an earthly reality that you do understand, that you do see. And by parallel, he's teaching you of the spiritual reality that corresponds to that. And so he's teaching you this this parable of these soils about your own heart, and you sense that he's speaking directly to your heart, directly into your soul. You sense that somehow this man, although you can barely see him down there, he sees into your soul. He knows your very thoughts, and he's teaching you in ways that you've never heard before. And so as you're listening to these stories, story after story, a story of of, uh, wineskins and stories of Uh, new patches on old garments and stories of leaven and flour and different things. He also tells this one story that you somehow sense that this is the story of stories. This is the foundational story, the gateway story. And it's a story about soils and a sower and seed and a crop and a harvest. And you somehow sense the spiritual reality that this story is teaching you, yet you don't fully grasp it. And so fortunately, you are one of the many whom Jesus has earlier called unto himself on that day when he called up the mountain those whom he desired. And that was the the birth of the church, so to speak. He calls them unto himself. You were one of those. And then later you were one of the ones that were inside the house, sitting around Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. And so although you understand some things of what he's saying, you get the physical reality and you get something of the spiritual reality that corresponds to it. Nevertheless, there's much that you don't understand. So you find yourself maybe the next day or the following day, once again in a house with Jesus. And Jesus is furthering his teaching. And somebody asks him, perhaps it's you, somebody asks him, Master, 
the soils. Can you help us? Can you teach us of the soils? What did you mean with the soils? And so he begins to explain the soils. And as he explains, you once again have the distinct sensation that this man sees directly into your heart. And so with that bit of context having been set in our mind, let's now turn. Once again, we won't read the entire parable, but we'll read the relevant verses. From verse 3, Jesus begins the parable. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Then verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Now, Jesus' interpretation will drop down to verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So if the parable, the section from the parable from last week, the hardened soil of the path, was the soil that represented the calloused, hardened heart upon which the seed of the word simply lands and has no opportunity to germinate into life and is quickly snatched away by the birds and lost, if that represents the heart that hears the word and then immediately forgets it, makes no impact whatsoever, if that's what that represents, then this today represents the polar opposite of that. Rather than the soil upon which the seed has no impact whatsoever, this soil represents the, or this re- represents the heart upon which the word has maximum initial impact. We notice from the story that Mark's going to give us a couple of clues that he wants us to understand that the seed impacted this soil much more rapidly and with much more fervor, shall we say, at least at the beginning, than any of the other soils. We're told this in a couple of ways. First of all, we're told that it's received with joy, with gladness. Reminds me of a little bit later in Mark chapter 6, we're going to hear about Herod. Herod, who we're told receives the word of John with gladness. He's perplexed by it, but he receives it gladly. Now, Herod is never described to us in the scriptures as anything like a convert or a follower of Christ, but yet he receives this word with some amount of joy or some amount of gladness. But we're also told that as this sower goes back, or as the sower goes around scattering seed, some fell on this rocky ground. So that's a phrase that that Mark comes back to over and over in the parable. Some fell here, some fell here, some fell here. So that reminds us What that's saying to us is that the word was heard. The word has been preached, it's been proclaimed, it's been taught, and it's been heard. Some fell here, some fell on the rocky path. And as it falls on this rocky section, one thing that we often think of, we think about rocky ground, we need to sort of modify how we think of rocky ground, because this is not what Jesus is talking about. We think of a rocky ground, something like a a type of ground or a section of the earth in which if we were to take a volume, a certain volume of that earth, and we were to measure what percentage of it is dirt and which what percentage is rock, then it would have a high percentage of rock in it. Maybe large rocks, maybe some pedibles, maybe some larger boulders. But it would be some type of dirt that would have a high degree or high percentage of rocks inside it. We're all familiar with that type of soil because that's, that's a native soil to where we live here in North Carolina. So we're well familiar with that. But that's not what Jesus is describing. 
Jesus is not describing a type of soil that's rocky in its content. Rather, he's describing a type of soil that would have been very familiar to his hearers. His hearers would have understood the rocky soil, not as a type of soil that's a mixture of rock and dirt, but instead a type of soil that had a thin topsoil layer with underneath something close to a monolithic, consistent bedrock underneath it, like a limestone layer underneath it. We're probably familiar back from high school geography classes. Remember those where where we learned how the soil is in layers and you can take a cross section of, of soil and you can see the different layers of it. So we can imagine what this would be like, this thin top layer of soil, maybe a few inches or a foot or maybe two or three feet at most. And then underneath that would be a consistent layer of limestone or some sort of hard surface. So in essence, what this is, is something of a fertile soil above something that's even harder than the soil from last week, the hardened path soil. This is even harder underneath. So metaphorically, this is speaking to us of a heart that has some type of fertileness to the seed initially. However, it has a hard layer underneath the surface that allows an initial spurt of growth that appears to be very much lifelike. However, just underneath the surface, there's something very, very hard that will allow nothing past it that will not allow any type of sustained growth. This is what Jesus is getting at here. And so this is the type of soil he's describing, this rocky soil. And so he says, as the seed is landed on this, that it springs up immediately unto life. Now, What Mark is wanting to communicate to us is this idea that the the soil, this type of soil, sprang forth a type of growth that was much more rapid and much more quickly visible than any of the other types of soil, even the good soil. This would have been the first soil of all the four soils of which the seed sprang up unto life. Now, we know that in a couple of ways. First of all, we know it by Jesus's use of how it received, it was received with joy, it was received with gladness. It was an enthusiastic reception, so to speak, as Jesus interprets the parable. It's an enthusiastic, joyful reception of the word. But we also know this by Mark's use of the word immediately. Immediately it sprang up. Now, we probably all remember how we have seen so far that immediately is Mark's favorite word. He uses this word with great, great frequency. He loves, this is the, this is the gospel of movement. Mark portrays Jesus as moving. He's going here, he's going there, he's teaching over here, he's healing over here, he's going here, and everything is immediately. So it is definitely his favorite word. So we might write this off when he says immediately is spring up to life. We might write it off as just another usage of Mark's favorite word. However, we should stop just a minute and ask ourselves, is really that's what's, what's happening? And it's not. Mark is not just putting in his favorite word immediately here. He wants us to understand that this immediately came up to life. And the reason we know that is, for first of all, none of the other soils use that word immediately to describe anything, either in the telling of the parable or the interpretation of the parable. This is the only soil which is said to produce immediate reaction. Furthermore, three times we read that word immediately, once in the telling of the parable, twice more in Jesus' interpretation of the parable. So immediately, immediately, immediately. But then lastly, if we were to look at Matthew's telling of the same parable, we would see that Matthew uses the same word, and immediately is not Matthew's favorite word. 
So what Jesus is communicating here is something about a reaction of the seed in this soil that's fast, that's quick, it's joyful. It's, it's a, a joyous, immediate receiving and almost an instant, instantaneous showing of some type of life. Again, to put it back into the context of the spiritual reality that Jesus is teaching, it's an immediate show of a possible rebirth or regeneration or a recreation of a sinner into a saint. And so what this parable is speaking to us about is speaking to us about the phenomenon that we're all very much familiar with, and that's the phenomenon of one who perhaps has been outside of the context of the preaching of God's Word for a very, very long time, perhaps. Perhaps decades. Maybe for their entire life. Maybe this is the first time that they have heard the Word preached. Maybe this is the first time that this is the Word has been preached and they have heard it for two or three or four decades. And then we all have seen this type of thing happen, that it's received with such enthusiastic joy, such incredible reception, that it seems as though there is an immediate springing to life. I can think of so many examples of this. We have seen examples of this here in our context. I can think of just within the last 12 months, four or five instances in which this same sort of thing happens. Someone comes, a visitor comes, and and their story is that they haven't been in church in 25 years. And then by the conclusion of the service, they're in tears and they're so enthusiastic about what they've heard and they're asking about how can they volunteer and, and they're asking, well, uh, which Bi- I'm going to go tomorrow and buy a Bible. Which Bible should I buy? And, and what, uh, what teaching should I listen to? And when can I come back? And how can I volunteer in the church? And these sorts of things. And this is the, this is the reception that Jesus is describing. A reception by someone who hears the word proclaimed and their reaction to that is so lifelike, so enthusiastic, so quick to spring up into a joyful reception. That's what Jesus is getting at here. So what's heard is received, it's believed. This is not the hard-packed soil which rejects. Instead, this is the soil that receives immediately unto life. So what what we read here, from, again, from verse 4, and he sowed some, fell, some seed fell along the path. Verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. So it, we're told here that it springs up and it springs up immediately. And the, the, the reason for springing up immediately is the lack of a depth of soil. So while the seed on the good ground is busy growing downward to establish some root systems, This seed cannot grow downward. It must grow upward. So that sort of gives us a reason for the springing up quickly. Now, if we were to turn to Luke's gospel, Mark tells us here that they endured for a while. But if we were to turn to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 8, verse 13 in your notes, we would read this. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it once again with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. So here we're faced with a doctrine of the scriptures that we, quite frankly, we've just got to face this head on. And what we got to face head on is that we were just told that they believed. And yet within the context of the parable, clearly they did not believe unto salvation. All right. So within evangelical Christianity, we are uh, very, very quick to say this sort of thing. Salvation comes by believing upon Christ. Believe upon the Lord. Just like Paul says to the Philippian jailer, believe upon the Lord and you will be saved. All that's needed for salvation is to believe upon the Lord. However, here we come across a scripture that says to us, here are some 
Seeds as representing people who believe upon the Lord, and clearly within this context, they are not saved. So how are we to understand this type of belief that doesn't lead to salvation? The way that we are to understand this is that the scriptures teach us that there is a type of belief that does not result in salvation. There is a type of faith. There is a belief that is not a belief unto salvation. Now, this is a truth that's brought to us in at least a half a dozen places in the New Testament. This idea that there there is a way in which we can believe, we can receive the message, we can receive the seed, we can believe it. We can know it to be the message that gives life. We can accept it. We can profess belief in it. And yet salvation does not result from that. We see it here from this passage. We also see it in places like Acts 13. Remember the fellow Simon the Magician. Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8, we're told very plainly that he hears this gospel preached to him from Philip. And we're told in verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, so he not only believed, he's baptized, but not only is he baptized, he continued with Philip. Now that's a phrase there that indicates to us discipleship. He submitted himself to discipleship. He continued with Philip. In other words, he walked with them. So this fellow, Simon the Magician, as the story goes on, he, just a little bit later, he's going to see the apostles pray and lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, ah, I want that. How can I get that? Can I pay you for this? At which point Peter then says, hang on a second. You haven't understood anything. And then we see this declaration from verse uh, 21. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Clearly, Simon Peter is saying to Simon the magician, you are not one of God's people, but yet we're told that he believed. Furthermore, we could look in John's gospel. John's gospel has this as, as a theme through much, especially the first half of John's gospel. For example, if we were to turn to John chapter 8, we would see in verse 30, as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. So verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, and then Jesus is going to say, if my words abide in you, then you are truly my disciple. And from that point in John, John's gospel, John chapter 8, begins a long drawn out confrontation between Jesus and these Jews who had believed. During that confrontation, Jesus is going to say things like, before Abraham was, I am. And they are going to absolutely get angrier and angrier and angrier at Jesus until finally they're going to say something like this in verse Verse 40, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So clearly they're no longer believing. And then all of that's going to culminate John chapter 9 when, Je when Jesus heals the man born blind and they're so angry about that. They want Jesus drugged before them. They want to kick the guy out of the synagogue and everything. So what we see in that long interchange is that we're told that Jews believed in him and then that belief did not lead unto salvation. Instead, they fall away into unbelief and accusing Jesus of having a demon. Earlier in chapter 6, we see the same sort of thing, where many are following Jesus until he gives that hard teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And then we're told many who had believed in him no longer followed him. We could see the same sort of thing if we were to look in Galatians 1 verse 6. Paul says to the Galatians, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. And then he goes on later in chapter 5 to say, what happened? You were doing so well. So the scriptures present to us a truth that there is a belief 
unto salvation and there is a belief not unto salvation. So we might think, well, I know what's going on. I know where he's leading with all this. It's a nuance in the Greek, isn't it? It's, there's two different Greek words. And one word means belief unto salvation and another means belief not unto salvation, right? No, it's not that easy. Same word, there's one word. So what is this showing us? This is showing us not the heresy that salvation can be gained and lost and gained and lost, that we can believe unto salvation, receive life in His name, and then lose life in His name, and then believe again and receive it again. I, in fact, just this Friday, literally two days ago, I kid you not, I kid you not, I was sitting with a man, who, a brother in Christ, I consider him, and he is a, one of the type of doctrine that would believe just what I just said, that you can believe unto salvation and then stop believing and lose salvation, believe again and receive salvation again. And as we were talking, he mentions this. And you know what he brings up as his defense? I kid you not. The parable of the sower. He said the parable of the sower is proof because there's the rocky soil that believes and then doesn't believe. So is this what the scriptures are teaching us? It can't be. Because this would stand in contradiction to so much other scripture that teaches us that salvation is a work of God and a work of God alone. It is a gift from God. If you are in Christ, that means that he chose you, that he saved you. And so if God saves us, then we're not powerful enough within ourselves to unsave us. So this is not teaching us that there is a, a saving belief that can be lost. Instead, what this is showing us is that there is a way, there is a, a type of belief that affirms the truth of the Scriptures, believes the truth of the Scriptures, believes that the Scriptures are the words of life, receives it with joy, and yet falls away. Why? Because the salvation wasn't as the point of the parable is going to be genuine. This is the whole point of this section of the parable, is that there is a belief that is a disingenuous belief. That is a rocky soil belief. A belief that springs up not out of good soil, but out of rocky soil. It doesn't reject the message like the hard-packed path. It receives the message, yet it receives it in such a way that life is still not possible. And that is a type of belief that quickly falls away. So let's begin unpacking these words of Jesus. And I think that we'll, we'll see very plainly that this is what Jesus is teaching. This is the point of the parable. Not that one can believe and receive life in his name and then lose it, but that one can actually respond in such a way that those around would say, wow, what a demonstration of new life. And yet as quickly as they respond with joy, Jesus says, just that quickly, they can fall away. <laughs> 